Hello, everyone. My name is Jason Godwin. I'm the host of the Confessions of a Dealmaker podcast. This is episode seven. I have my co-host here, Farah Bass, our operations manager. Glad to be here today. Glad you're here, too. So today's quote, you don't build a business, you build people, then people build the business. That's from Zig Ziglar. So today's topic, we're going to be talking about what a business owner can do to increase the value and profit within their company. One of the things we see is a lot of times owners build a company in the best way they know how without taking into consideration what's going to happen when they go to sell that company. I'm sure you've seen that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the one thing that most people consider, which is totally valid, is revenue. How do I increase profits? Right. And there's things that we've seen that owners do to increase revenue that sometimes hinder the value of the company. Mm-hmm. And I think they're often overlooked and a lot of people don't know these facts or haven't heard them or they're kind of afterthoughts. So mm-hmm. it, I thought it would be valuable for us to share this so that we could add some value to business owners. And also um, want to point out, we will be going to the IBBA conference this mm-hmm. week. So that would be the week before this podcast is posted. Very excited. So if we got a chance to network with you at the IBBA, we're excited to do so. Also, hopefully we're going to be receiving some awards there. But my biggest hope is the amount of information we'll be able to gain that we can share with the clients to help them sell their companies faster for higher values. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is very timely for us to do this subject today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as we're sitting here thinking about this, I'm actually realizing a lot of these things um, that we're going to cover are topics that we talk through with sellers when they're thinking about selling um, in developing an exit strategy. And so we always say, it's okay if you're not ready to sell quite yet. Let's have your exit strategy ready over the next 24 months and develop what should I be working on that's going to increase the value of my business when I go to sale. So this is kind of like an insider's uh, view of our conversations with people as they get ready to exit their business. Exactly. And typically what we're doing is we're almost reverse engineering this because we're starting on the backside. Whenever we meet with a seller or someone who wants to sell, we're looking, we're asking all these questions like, okay, have you done this, 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 let's have these conversations about these different areas of your business. Mm-hmm. And, and it's always from the, the back end. Now we get to have the conversation on the front end to say, these are the things we've seen help companies sell for higher values and create more profit and a better operating company for the seller. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, and it's been fun to, in, over the last few years to, uh, make note of these because you start to see trends. You start to see, okay, when someone does this, it tends to result in a smoother running operation. When someone does this, it tends to result in a less smooth running operation. Mm-hmm. So it's been very valuable for us because we can we get the opportunity to steal a lot of these ideas and apply mm-hmm. in our own company. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the cool thing is, is like we always are trying to get the highest value for our clients. And so if you're coming forward and you're saying, I need to sell in the next six months, The problem is there probably is money on the table being left because you didn't plan ahead of time. And so there's no knock against you. You know, life changes, family changes, things happen. Um, But if you're a business owner and you think this is somewhere in the pipe for you, pipeline for you, even 10 years down the road, how do you maximize so that you're not leaving money on the table when you go to sell? You know, it's cool to be able to take part in that and and offer value um, to make sure that our clients are getting the most bang for their buck when they sell. Absolutely. I would say, too, in most cases, it's very rare that when we do evaluation on a company, an owner's surprised and said, oh, I thought it'd be worth less, right? Mm -hmm. Usually they're, they're, well, 
they're they're wondering, okay, where did this valuation come from? What are you taking into account to value the company? Um, aren't just all companies valued on a, a, the same multiple revenue? So there's a lot of insight that goes into this that, um, as far as the, in the seller journey, that um, they're usually surprised where the valuation comes in. And then we say, well, if you would have done this, this, and this, and this, now the company, the, va- the value of the company would be increased. Mm-hmm. So I, my hope is we, by sharing this information, business owners or people who are thinking about starting businesses or, or are buying business would be able to grow that company faster and then exit at a higher valuation. Mm-hmm. And I would recommend as someone thinks through these for their own business is put yourself in a buyer's shoes. A lot of these things are actually pretty logical when you think through them. Um, it's, what would make the most sense for someone coming in if they're stepping into your shoes? Um, how do you basically offer the most value to the buyer? Um, and so it it seems like some of these are pretty simple, but you'll find that in the everyday life of running a business, there are they are actually very difficult to implement. Um, and so hopefully we can just help bring light to them. Um, and, but I think it's helpful to have that perspective of put yourself in the buyer's shoes. What is going to offer the most value to them? to increase the amount that they'll pay for the business in the, in the right. long run. Yeah. So there's that saying it's simple, not easy. Mm, yeah. And a value of a business is derived by how much a buyer's willing to pay. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've had this conversation with sellers often where they say, you know, they, well, I want this price. You can want that price all day long, but if a buyer's not going to pay it, it doesn't matter. Supply and demand. Right. And also it's a, it's a, a measurement of risk. How much risk is inside of your company? So the hope is by, having this conversation and hopefully sharing some of these topics, we will be able to offset some of the risks that sellers have and owners have in their own company. Mm -hmm. So, and also um, we will be including in the description of the podcast on um, YouTube. I know, I'm not sure if we can do it on Spotify yet, but there'll be a link to this resource Mm -hmm. that has a lot of this information we're talking about. You can just click on that that, and you'll get an email copy of this, what we're talking mm-hmm. about. So you have an outline. So if you want that to store it and have kind of an action plan on what should you be doing to help grow your company, that's going to be free. We want to share that because we want to see business owners succeed and have better companies to sell. Yeah, absolutely. I say let's dive right in. Yeah, so where do you want to start? Um, I just say we start right off the bat uh, with employee and cult- employees and culture and hiring and everything around that mm-hmm. because I think that's a great way to start with what you're already start with what you've got um, and, and work from there. And so I'd love to just hear your opinion on that. So I would say this is the most important topic we're going to discuss today out of all the other topics. Why? Um, well, okay. So what is a business? A business is a set of processes, assets, and people that work together to produce a product that people buy. Mm-hmm. or a service that people buy, right, to generate revenue. And so you need people to execute those processes and operate those assets. So if you don't have people, you don't have a business. You can have a whole bunch of assets, but if you're the only one pulling the levers, then you have a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I was a part of a franchise for a while that was more of a job than a business because it wasn't structured to be a, um, a like multi-employee business. It just mm-hmm. that, that was not there what what the franchisor wanted and it was just a job because mm-hmm. the only way for you to make more money was to work more hours right so if you want to grow a company you have to leverage technology and people 
and mm-hmm. grow a team around you in order to, to be more profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just relying on your own efforts, then you are the business. And for operating a business, that makes it really difficult and tiring because everything everything's on you. So if you ha- if you're sick, if you're out of office, if you go on vacation, if something happens, the business stops. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you have a team around you who is on the same mission as you mm-hmm. and they are there's there's a culture of pursuing greatness and wanting to grow the company and wanting to grow as individuals, then mm-hmm. the business grows itself. Mm-hmm. Right? So companies that are able to execute this well are easier to run, easier to sell, more profitable. That's mm-hmm. something. Well, and it comes it comes from the beginning of hiring the right people. Um, And then training properly. So I have seen in our own team, we have in the past, we'll hire the wrong person. And unfortunately, what happens to the business owner or the, you know, the manager, the person in charge of that person is it takes more time and energy to, to manage them and make sure things are done correctly than it would if you had the right person in place. So really having a good developed comprehensive hiring strategy to make sure you're getting those people who believe in your culture and are the right fit for that um, position. And then I would say too is, and we're working on this for ourselves is making sure you have the right training in place so that the person is well-equipped, well-trained, understands what their responsibilities are and how to execute them properly. Because then as a manager or business owner, you don't have to follow them around and make sure everything's done properly. Uh, and it really, it helps with your time and your energy, but really it also gives you kind of peace of mind that, you know, things are getting done properly and you can give autonomy and authority to your employees, um, to take ownership in the company. So one of the books we're going to be doing a podcast review on is the book traction. And I think any owner or, uh, someone who wants to go into business, and you want to go down this journey of building a structured team, I would say the first book I would recommend is Traction because it talks about this. It talks about the accountability chart. It talks about how um, you measure mm-hmm. right person, right seat, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of times, um, I know this has been true for me in the past, you're looking for someone who's just wanting to join the team. Mm-hmm. Um, you're trying to ease a pain point, so you're just looking for the first person to walk in the door who raises their hand and says, yep, I'm, I want to be a part of your team. Instead of building a plan of who the right person is and then trying to attract that right person because of the culture. Because if they don't align with the culture of the company um, and they're just here because you're paying the highest salary, they're going to maybe not stick around that long or they're not going to mesh with the team or they may not be able to dig down deep when it's time to do the really hard things and everyone has to kind of, you know, put their back into it to get the work done when it's mm-hmm. not fun and it's not as rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way you do that is by building a strong team culture and mm-hmm. by hiring the right people, right? Mm-hmm. So and we've seen this to be um, true in the past where, um, you know, if someone's not a good fit, you you have all this time and training invested in it now. You're like, okay, well, what do I do now? Right. And you're so busy running the business or the business running you that now you don't have time to go fix it. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier and simpler just to fix it on the front end mm-hmm. by taking the time and building a hiring plan, like you said, mm-hmm. and an outline of who it is you're looking for. What are the traits? Mm-hmm. You know, what is your company culture? Like, what are your core values? I love that interaction. Like, let's mm-hmm. establish core values and figure out what's mm-hmm. important to us because then we know who we're looking for. Does this resonate with mm-hmm. with um, with you? Like, we're, go- we're you know, hopefully you'll be interviewing a new hire soon, and 
the first, what made this person stick out to me was they liked what our core values are. And that's, and, and I looked at their resume, their CV, and it's like, they have something very similar to what they're looking for, right? So mm-hmm. that, I don't necessarily care as much about their talent. I care about who they are mm-hmm. because I can teach the skills. Mm-hmm. I can't teach attitude. Yeah, you can't teach character. And, mm-hmm. and you're talking about this culture. So in order to hire the right person, you have to build a culture within first. And mm-hmm. uh, one thing that I learned um, in Chick-fil-A, so I used to work at Chick-fil-A at our local off, um, restaurant, and I became, I worked my way up to hospitality and guest experience director. And one thing that I learned um, from my time there was that as a leader or business owner, um, the way you get the most out of your employees, and this is not with a manipulative mindset, but the way you will see the most is by investing in them for their own benefit and investing in them for their own growth and professionally and personally. And so uh, if if, if an employee knows that you believe in them and that you want the best for them, even if that means it's not staying in this organization, they're going to be 10 times more likely to give their all into their position um, and so you don't, you truly do it out of the genuine and it, the genuineness of your heart um, of wanting the best for your employees, but it also, you'll see that return of, they know that you want the best for them. So they want to give you the best. Um, and so that's how you kind of build that culture of everybody working as hard as they can. Yeah. I heard uh, the ex-marketing director, Chick-fil-A said in a podcast that they are a leadership school that masquerades as the chicken business. Yep. That it's they're true. actually businesses building leaders because that's why they promote from within so much. Mm-hmm. Like you, if you want to be an, I don't know if this is tr- as true now, but I know it was at one point. If you wanted to be an operator, you had to have been an employee. Mm-hmm. You couldn't come from the outside and become an operator. You had to go through the process of being mm-hmm. a part of the team and that they, they want to develop leaders. Mm-hmm. So um, if you want to grow a company quickly, and you want it to be as smooth as possible, you have to develop mm-hmm. leaders, and you have to be willing to let go of control of your company. Like, I see this happening to me. One of the ways I know that we're on the right track is when you are having to chase me down as the owner <laughs> to get things done because you, as the leader, one of the leaders in the team, and as the team itself, is running so smooth that now I'm, you know, I need to be able, I need to catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, right. it's not all, it's not all going through me. Mm-hmm. You're, you're making decisions on your own, decentralized mm-hmm. command. You're able mm-hmm. to work as a team without having to have the owner as the hub and, and then the team members of the spokes. Whenever we look at a company, we see that hub and spoke model where everything has to go in and through the owner. It's so slow. Mm-hmm. It's so slow. The progress is slow. Growth is slow. You'll see these very small, you know, growths, uh, growth percentages every year. It's very stagnant. The owner's working 50, 60 hours a week. They're tired because they're they're so concerned about quality. They don't trust their team. They think they have to make every single decision. Well, that's a failure of leadership. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it, it's it's an uncomfortable truth. I've had to face it too. That any time when we have situations like that where things are going wrong, it's a failure of my leadership as as the visionary in the company. And I think business owners have to take into consideration too. When things are going wrong, it's, it's not always your team's fault. Sometimes mm-hmm. it start it starts with you. Like you've mm-hmm. got to take ownership of it and realize that you've got to you've got to build this systems set of systems and processes and invest in people. Mm-hmm. Let's pull on that thread. Systems and processes is another area that's often overlooked. 
Um, and that comes with training and that comes with uh, all, all kinds of uh, facets go into that. But why uh, would you say that it's important to have systems and processes down pat for a business owner? Well, we had this one seller this one time. Um, he built a very unique business. And he worked two and a half hours a week on this company. And I asked him, we'll call him Bob. <laughs> I said, Bob, how is it you're able to do this? Or how did you build this company in a way that it just runs itself? He goes, well, I, I looked at the McDonald's monitor, model. I want mm -hmm. people putting hamburgers and buns, right? Um, I want it to be that simple that every process can be executed with just smoothly no matter what the circumstances are, that there's basically a written procedure and a process for everything that could possibly happen. Now, it's very difficult to take in consideration every single possible outcome or situation that can mm -hmm. occur. But one of the things that, again, going back to traction, that traction highlights is the 80-20 principle. So 20% of the activities you do in your company produce 80% of the results in revenue. So if if you focus on nailing down the 20% and those are documented inside of some type of platform, whether that's a, like we use Asana or Monday.com or even Google Sheets or they're in a Google Doc where they're hyperlinked somewhere, doesn't matter. If you have a written process that a team member can go to for a task, even if they know it all by heart, right? When you go to train someone new, you now have this whole set of documents you can go through line by line. Because you may, it may be common to you, uh, you just skip over some steps because you've been doing it for so long um, in, in whatever process you may have, right? Let's say you make widgets, right? In your widget-making process, you're able to skip this step and this step because you've done it for so long. Well, a new, a new hire may not know that. So you, it's, it's helpful to go step-by-step step through a process and mm -hmm. map out exactly how your products and services are made and provided. Mm -hmm. And that way you have a systematized business that works just like putting hamburgers and buns. Mm -hmm. And, okay, so let's use, you know, McDonald's as an example. It's scalable. The system in written processes means that there is reduced uh, margin for error. Uh, you have consistency across the, uh, across the board. Employees know exactly what to expect. And even clients know pretty much exactly what to expect. Um, and it can be transferred easily. I mean, those, going back to putting yourself into the buyer's shoes, those are highly attractive to someone who is saying, okay, can I come in and make this grow? Well, yeah, you can if you have good systems and processes in place. Typically, that allows for scalability. You just had to go in there and start throwing levers. It's like if you go to Orlando and have a Big Mac and you go to Sacramento, California, have a Big Mac, they're going to taste identical. Mm-hmm because there's a set of systems and processes that is made the same way every single time. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we have a fairly complex business process, and we've been able to map out a, a process like this, so yeah. it's possible. Yeah. No, no matter how complex and nuanced your business is, there is a way to map out a process. And buyers are going to be very motivated to invest in a company where the seller has taken steps to build these and, and put these systems and processes in place and record mm -hmm. them because what they know then is with this level of attention to detail, they probably have other considerations they've made mm -hmm. where they've done the same thing for the business. Mm -hmm. And the inverse of that is whenever these steps are not taken, 
buyers start to ask questions of, well, what other considerations and steps has the seller not taken? Mm-hmm. So just it, it builds trust when you have taken the, the um, forethought to execute on this. Mm-hmm. And I would say, too, it, they know that you're working on the business and not in it. You know, if anybody can do the job because the job is laid out and, and, and employees are able to take ownership of that, then you're able to step back and not have to be in the, in the everyday tasks. And a, a point that I don't think is often enough hit for this is the consistency part of if clients know exactly what to expect, that's going to build your brand reputation. That's going to that's gonna build your brand awareness and your brand reputation because it, they know, okay, across the board, this is how well it, it's executed because it's executed the same every time. And reputation plays into value as well. I'm, we don't really highlight that in this kind of podcast, but I think reputation has a huge effect on, um, you know, a buyer's willingness to step into the business because they're not going to step into something that has one star on Google and everybody's like, this business is crap. Like, never go here. I mean, they're, well, they're probably struggling to there, maintain clients. There are, there are a few exceptions to that rule. Private property towing, repossession companies, <laughs> and debt collection companies are going to have... Those are the exceptions. They'll always have low reviews because nobody right. likes them. <laughs> that's why. That's why private property towing companies only accept cash because everyone would would um, mark that charge as um, fraud. Fraud. So <laughs> we dispute the charge. So yeah, but you're exactly right. And reputation shows up in revenue. Mm-hmm. It always does. Um, a lot of times, clients come to us and say, "Well, I've got you know five stars on Google, how does that affect my value of my company? Well, it, it does affect the value, but also that shows up in the revenue, which is there's a multiple apply to that too. How does it show up in revenue? Well, if you have a good reputation and you have a high velocity of people searching for your service, you're going to show up in the searches more often than your competitors, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, without going down a rabbit hole, when it the number one thing that you have control over when it comes to how you show up in local searches for services, service-based businesses in particular, with Google or even social media, is reputation and reviews. Because the, plat- the social media and tech platforms want to make sure that their user base, which is their inventory, are connecting with the providers that have the best reputation so that the reputation is associated with the platform, mm-hmm. right? So Google doesn't want to send you to a one-star plumbing company because then you're going to look at them as a as a poor source for information. Mm-hmm. So what do they take in consideration first? Reviews. Like the the first it is um, I think the first thing they're looking at is is the primary category in relation to the keyword. The second is going to be I believe the uh, geographic location and relevancy to the search. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is going to be if you have secondary a secondary category selected inside a Google Business Profile. And if there's a rela- there's a relatability to the keyword search there, but the fourth factor which, which you have control over is rankings and reviews. That is a, that is where they're going to populate you ahead of someone else in the map search. Um, so you then will be the first call, f- usually for that service. Now it may not if your people on the phones are not answering well or your prices are too high, you may not be able to convert as many of them but you'll have more velocity, right? Mm-hmm. You'll have more traffic. You'll mm-hmm. have more people who are inquiring more mm-hmm. leads. So 
reputation is very, very important for the growth of a company because we can have a company that makes great revenue, but if there's a low velocity of people searching for it, it's harder to scale. Mm-hmm. Right. And even for maintaining those those clients, if people know that you're going to give them a consistent service um, and it's an excellent service and it's the same across the board and it's the same no matter who prepares the food or who provides the service, they're going to come back. And so then you're having recurring revenue and you're having uh, you're having repeat customers and then those people will help spread the, ba- the brand by word of mouth and, and it kind of spreads that way as well. Right. And that's a good place to shift into talking about revenue. So one of the things I mentioned earlier was velocity. Mm-hmm. One of the challenges in, in certain industries of selling those companies is they're project-based. So you have a lot of things like, say, building a house, right? You have d- uh, developers who, and general contractors who build homes. Once you have completed that project, you're, you have a very low likelihood of doing a project for that client again. Mm-hmm. So you have to go out and acquire clients more often. So you have a higher cost of customer acquisition, whereas when you have a business that you can sell a service over and over and over again, you have less clients to go out and acquire. And so that's where you have this um, collision of your visibility in the marketplace based on your reputation digitally and physically with the type of revenue you have and how you're going to acquire clients. Mm -hmm. So tell me how does a business, let's use a construction business, like how does, how do they shift into, how do they play into that? So you're saying that it's sometimes, it's a lot harder because you have to acquire more clients versus someone with Mm -hmm. recurring clients, like what does that mean for them in increasing their value? How do they increase their value in in revenue? So one of the things we see often in companies that have a lot of success and they grow fast is they pick a niche and or a specific service and they become the best at that. Mm -hmm. And there has a, there's a lot of merits to that because when you have an, when you have a niche, you have a very target identified client base, customer avatar, you, you know exactly who you're targeting and how to get the message out to them mm-hmm. to bring that client through the sales funnel to become going from a lead to becoming a client. The downside, though, is if you all of your revenue is project-based for clients that you only serve once, you have to do that at a very high rate of keep mm-hmm. bringing those clients on. Um, so one thing that is beneficial for construction would be a good example of this is, is knowing the difference in what is service-based revenue mm-hmm. and what is uh, one-time projects. For example, you know, take construction. If you are a site developer and you're doing home pads and you're doing new construction, um, banks, the SBA, and buyers all look at those differently than companies that are focused on service. Same with like roofers. If you're a roof contractor and all you do is new construction, it is very hard to get lending versus if you're a roofer who's doing re-roofs and working with insurance providers and working with uh, adjusters and attorneys to get roofs done. Mm-hmm. Because there's a there's a higher likelihood of getting customers to come back and also a lower cost of customer acquisition. So if you're a construction company and you want to 
to get out of the trap of just doing project-based, you have to find a way to have some service-based revenue. Mm -hmm. So that could be a sidewalk maintenance contract with a city or a municipality. That could be some type of asphalt repair contract where, or an agreement where you're doing a, a work repetitively. You become a vendor to do, fix things. Mm -hmm. So building something versus fixing something. If you build something, you usually build it once and it stays. If you fix something, there's problems that constantly come up. Like we've seen this with plumbing companies, right? Plumbing companies who are service-based make more revenue, have higher margins, and sell for higher values than plumbing companies that are project-based that are building homes. Mm -hmm. it just, it's fact. Mm -hmm. They're lower margin. There's more fluctuations in the revenue, and they sell for a lower multiple mm -hmm. because they're project-based. So you can be within an industry that's heavily project-based and find a way to have some type of recurring service-based revenue, even if it's not a subscription, like you know having a SaaS product where you, mm -hmm. someone pays you every month. Shifting your focus to service will increase the mm -hmm. value of your company. Mm -hmm. This is one of those areas for sure that's simple, not easy, uh, and maybe not always practical. But I think no. uh, I think it's something certainly to consider is that kind of a little bit of diversification diversification in what services is offered. Yeah, and if you are a company that has a project based nature, there's nothing you can do about that you've got to build some relationships mm -hmm. you've got to broaden your relationships. Cause one of the other things we see a lot of times is customer concentration Yeah, where you have, Oh yeah, we work for one. We, we had, we had this happen this past week. Yep. We have a business that we are selling and they had one client that they worked for. Well, I, they had one client that was 90 to 80% of the revenue mm -hmm. and there's a customer concentration issue there because what happens if that contract gets suspended? Well, <laughs> well, Friday afternoon, I get a phone call, and that's exactly what happened. They, he, had, the, the seller just signed with us, and he got the call that his contract was pulled. Yep. So, and, uh, so then it's virtually unsaleable at that point. Yeah. He went from. His revenue dropped by 90% a month right. with one phone call. And so you have a, a lot of times we'll see sellers have a relationship with someone and everything's been going smooth. Well, undoubtedly, there may be an event coming where that no longer is the, mm -hmm. the case, where it's no longer going smooth. Mm -hmm. Something may happen, a relationship may change, um, an industry may change. And if you have all of your eggs in this one basket or even like, well, let's talk, what is customer concentration? Right, so customer concentration means that you have a large percentage of your revenue coming from a small amount of customers. Mm -hmm. That could be, let's say, if ten percent of your cut, or sorry, let's say ten of your customers make up more than fifty percent of your revenue. Mm -hmm. You know, and some businesses may only have ten customers, um, but and that's unavoidable. Mm -hmm. Or if you have one customer that makes up more than ten percent of your revenue, or one customer makes up more than thirty percent of revenue, or three customers make up more than thirty percent of your revenue. Um, it's, it's all subjective to the size of the company, but those present risk issues for buyers because if one of those clients leaves, mm -hmm. then a large portion of the revenue leaves, and right. the deal no longer make cash flow, especially if there's lending involved. And right. Now it may go from making a profit to breaking even or losing money with one or two clients leaving, which presents huge risk mm -hmm. for a buyer. And oftentimes, those relationships are based on the owner is at least what I've seen in our history is those, it's the owner that's developed the relationship with the business owner of the other company. And so it's kind of this like mutual verbal understanding that they'll continue using each other's services. Um, but 
often there's no contract in place or even if there is, like what happens if the owner steps out? Is that going to make things a little tough? Um, and the problem is while it might seem maybe I, I say attractive, maybe it might seem like it makes sense to someone, um, to a business owner because there's less bookkeeping or less accounting, less, you know, logistical work on having to maintain a whole bunch of clients or find new clients. There's less marketing involved because you have that one, you know, that one deal that covers 50% of your, your revenue, but a, you, you run the risk of losing them, especially if it's a verbal understanding, because we've seen it before, just because you're friends with someone doesn't always mean it's going to, it's going to always end well, like business involved, you know, money's involved. And ultimately loyalty isn't with business partners and and acquaintances and vendors. Loyalty is to yourself and your family and your business. And so unfortunately things can go south, um, intentionally or unintentionally. Um, and so you run the risk of losing that revenue for yourself, but also like you said, um, a business, uh, a buyer isn't going to say, oh, what you have this great relationship. I'm going to maintain that relationship. You know, no, you've worked on that relationship for 15 years. It doesn't make any sense for a buyer to be able to just jump in your shoes and maintain that. And that's where one of the things owners can do, and this, this is something that a lot of them don't think about what they can do ahead of time is start transferring those relationships to someone in the company, Mm -hmm. right? So the value of the company is derived by the size of the hole left when the owner exits. Mm -hmm. So if you can retain as much knowledge inside of the company, whether that's relationships with clients and vendors, whether that's trade knowledge mm-hmm. and technical knowledge, mm-hmm. um, there's more, uh, the larger percentage of that can be left in the company so that when you leave, the company can run smoothly. Mm-hmm. The higher the valuation is going to sell for, hands mm-hmm. down, always. Um, and a lot of sellers have a hard time with that. Mm-hmm. Because they have sacrificed, they have invested, they have sweat, they have bled. Their family has had tearful meetings at the dinner table over this company that they've labored over Mm -hmm. for decades. And they have a lot of pride invested Mm -hmm. in what they have built. Mm -hmm. The separation needs to come in knowing that you will not continue on with the company. Right. You're not selling you. Yeah. What? One of the things I've said is the f- one of the first steps in selling companies is, is you have to have the humility to believe mm-hmm. it can operate without you. Mm-hmm. If you do not believe that, that energy will transfer to the buyer. They will feel that vibe mm-hmm. in the company that it cannot run without you, that you're the company, and mm-hmm. it's going to result in a smaller sale. Mm-hmm. It just is. So you have to build the company around the company and not you, mm-hmm. around the team, around the systems and processes around the relationships and not around you. It, you can't make it about you. You make it about you and you're selling you, right? And, and the buyer's not buying you. They're buying the company, which mm-hmm. is the systems, processes, assets, the team that's going to execute to make revenue. Mm-hmm. You won't be there. So you have to make it not about you. Mm-hmm. And the sooner you realize that, you swallow that hard truth <laughs> and have the humility to understand that um, this business can run without you, mm-hmm. the, the f- easier it will be to sell, mm-hmm. the more money you will make, and the higher the valuation will be. 
Well, and I've seen several times, I'll make the marketing materials for an owner who is semi or totally absentee, um, which means they are either operating uh, remotely and only operate, you know, only involved in the business for a few hours a week or totally hands off and the business just makes money. Um, And so when I make the marketing materials, oftentimes, uh, or when the team, I suppose, makes the marketing materials, we like to highlight that aspect of it. It, You know, when an owner doesn't have to be involved in the day-to-day operations, that is a highlight. That is truly a highlight for a buyer. And so when we kind of judge that up, I more than once have had people come back and say, I'm not lazy. I work really hard on this business. And I'm like, no, you're right. You have worked for decades on this business and you've built something. And so it's not the huge... I would almost say it's not just the humility, but you can be proud of what you've built. Step back, look at what you've built, look at the system, this team, this operating, you know, living machine that you've built that you don't even have to touch anymore. Like that is a testament to leadership. That is a testament to vision. That is a testament to hard, hard, hard work. Um, And so no, I want this to be like a great thing. I want you to be proud that I can put this in the, into the marketing packet because this is a great aspect of the business that you should be proud of. Absolutely. That is so true. I, I can think of several occasions we've had that same conversation when sellers are like, oh, you're making me sound like I'm lazy. I'm like, no, I'm making you sound like you built a great business, yeah. which you have. Yeah. And you got to take pride in that. And it, it's there's nothing wrong with building a business where you're not the center of it. Mm-hmm. And that's the goal. Ultimately, like, it, that is the goal. It, if we want to summarize this whole podcast, <laughs> this topic, business development, growing your company, everything centralized on one thing is don't make it about yourself. Make mm-hmm. it about the, the team. It, it, so make it its own living organism outside of you. And business will, you will succeed. You will grow the company. You will develop people around you. Those people will influence their communities and live better lives your clients will have better experiences which will influence your community for the better your family will be influenced for the better because you're more present you're more available so ultimately in business it's all summarized by that build something that doesn't require more of you Mm -hmm. absolutely and i mean that what comes just the ability to work on the business and not in the business I, i say this time and time again but we struggle with it like constantly. It's so hard to oh, actually put. Point. I am the. I am the. <laughs> if anybody doesn't know this, I am the choke point of the company. I'm because again, I this is an area that I'm trying hard to transfer as much knowledge. Um, but but and I'm going to speak to this because I bet every owner who tries this goes through the same journey. Yeah. What happens is, you know, you need to do these things, but you're so everything is. You've had this built around you as the owner that everyone wants to talk to you every decision needs to be made about you because maybe it's a like a licensing issue or maybe it's a um there's just a, some technical knowledge you haven't transferred yet and you cannot tr- take the time to transfer it because you're so ingrained so you're stuck and you have to make the hard decision of what are you going to do to get out of it because i'm telling you i'm in it, I, i'm in it all the time too I, I have these moments where there are certain things, there are certain tasks that have to be done by me. And the reason they have to be done by me is because I haven't invested to, to transfer that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And because, again, you're so busy, you're working nights, you're getting up early, you're doing all the things, 
And so, yeah, you're like, I, I just can't do it. it. It's stuck. I'm stuck. I have to do it this way. No, you have to hire more people and develop a team. Mm-hmm. That's what it comes down to. Every time I, I realize this, I make notes. Every time there's a question on something or something gets stuck, I make notes. This is something I haven't trained on, right? And usually because it's a one-off weird situation. And so what you can do is train frameworks of how to think for a team. So they know, okay, when, when this happens, what are all of the possibilities that we need to think about mm-hmm. of how this outcome could go? Mm-hmm. Because that gives us kind of a framework to make decisions within mm-hmm. versus binary yes or no answers, right? It has to be um, the why. You, your team has to know the why behind why decisions are made. They have to know the why behind um, the reasons why choices are made. Mm-hmm. And that comes down to establishing core values, establishing your core principles, establishing your core focus, establishing the way you do things in your company, your principles, and so that when you get stuck, and as Jocko would say, you're under fire, <laughs> you have people who can go execute in your absence, right? So it comes down to you have to make the hard choice that you're going to get yourself out of the situation by you're going to sacrifice whether it's money or time to develop people around you so that you can share the load. Right. You asked me a few weeks ago what I thought your number one role was in the company. And I gave you an answer in that moment. It was, you know, bringing leads or something to the effect. Uh, And then after thinking further on that, I realized, no, your number one role is teacher in at least in this season. And I think that goes for a lot of business owners. You know, I think it's hard uh, to remember sometimes that if something, okay, for example, we have a really long cycle. And so oftentimes if we get to a transaction, we haven't done it in a few months or, or we haven't done that specific things because like you said, it's really complicated. So you could do things, you know, we might be onboarding people, you know, several times a month, but regardless, it's kind of different for each person. Well, we got to a situation where I realized, well, this person hasn't done this in a few months. Well, actually, I haven't done this in a few months. Actually, I'm not exactly sure how to do this. And I was like, okay, that means Jason needs to teach us. Like, and it wasn't because you hadn't taught us. It was kind of that realization that like, okay, we need more. We need like someone to step in and make sure that we know what we're doing. And and we also need to have the humility to ask for help. Um, But it was kind of this realization that you as a business owner are the teacher. And so if you, A, want things done a certain way, when it comes to systems and processes, you teach that. If you want things done a certain way when it comes to sales and language and and that kind of thing, like you have to teach that and train that. If you want things done a certain way when it comes to brand reputation, you have to teach that. No matter what you are, you, you want as a business owner, you have to make those expectations clear and then show someone how to get there. You know, like you said, it might be a little less when it, uh, it may, might be a little less relevant when it comes to like actual systems and processes, if you have those built in place, but when it comes to, uh, decision-making, okay, how do you think through this decision? Let's talk through this together. I think that's one of the primary roles of any business owner or manager is being a teacher and trainer and mentor and, and kind of bringing people up. Cause you never want someone to feel like they're left behind. Um, and so that comes with saying, Hey, how, what do you need to know? If you don't know what you need, you need to know, let's figure it out together. Okay, let's get you there. And kind of walking hand in hand and saying, I'm going to be your teacher. I'll get you to where you want to go. Or I'll at least help. I'll walk alongside you, maybe. 
so where this comes from is oftentimes in business you'll train something and then it just goes somewhere to it's shelved and it's hard to access mm. whether that's because it's in the owner's head or it's in some word document 10,000 files deep <laughs> in folder after folder after folder um you need to gather this knowledge and put it in a place that's easily accessible for mm -hmm. a team. Mm -hmm. There's tools like Loom, which we use all the time to record a video, and it screen captures at the same time, and so you can show someone how to do a process on a computer. There's products like Tango, which costs no money for the free version, where you can go through a digital process step by step and it screen captures and you can make notes and you have a document that is a outlined SOP. There's products like Asana and um, Monday.com that are project management tools that you can build templates mm -hmm. of how to do things. Mm -hmm. And so when it's like, oh, we need to do a quote for a pool, how do we do that? You fire the template up. Or you can use like uh, Go High Level. We're huge advocates of Go High Level. You can systematize things in there. It's just taking the time to slow down when you do something and record it mm -hmm. and document it and have it accessible for your mm -hmm. team. Um, and what you'll notice is, again, 20% of your activities will yield 80% of results. And then when that one of the things that's in the other 80% shows up, you have to slow down and record mm -hmm. it and document it. Mm -hmm. But the decision you have to make as the owner is you're willing to go through the hardship of dealing with the uncomfortable, you know, whether it's not meeting uh, time commitments, whether it's not meeting customer expectations, whether it's not meeting your own expectations, taking the time to develop the team and processes in a season mm -hmm. so that in the future it's not holding you back. Because it's, mm -hmm. it's going to take months to get this done. Mm -hmm. If you commit to doing it, the results will last decades. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we there's there's a whole nother episode just on this alone. Yeah. I mean, because because I, I think about okay, what quality should you expect from your from your employees? You know, they say that you're supposed to expect them to do it sixty percent as good as you can uh, until they master it, which takes like you said months. Um, and so accepting that kind of maybe a little less than perfect, but really well done kind of mentality is, is hard because especially if you're a perfectionist, which I am, I have to remember that my way isn't always the best way. <laughs> and so I have to say, okay, no, this looks great. Like, and not, not for the sake of like avoiding conflict or not for the sake of, um, I don't want to, if someone, if something needs to be fixed, you need to address it. But if something is just done in with a different uh, maybe perspective than I would have, and I think it maybe could be done differently, I have to choose what battles I'm going to fight. Like, it's not really worth it just because I think there's a better way. I probably am overcomplicating it if I want it done my way. So giving your team, and that goes back to like team culture, is like giving your team authority and autonomy will help them, I think, take more ownership. And I truly believe that the, the less you... It was described to me the one way that this way one time is you have a book is was I don't have a book on me, but the book is essentially like the highway. And so you have your someone going like this on the highway and they're going back and forth and back and forth and they're swerving all through the lanes. Well, that's dangerous. So what you do or what I would do is like, OK, here's exactly how to do it step by step. It has to be exactly my way. There's no other way. 
So you're turning the book on the side. So then you have this little tiny ledge that they're trying to drive on. Well, that's miserable. Nobody wants to drive on this ledge. It feels dangerous. You feel if, if you take the wrong step or the wrong turn or you swerve to hit a, to not to miss a rock, you're falling off the cliff. Like that's not healthy either. So what you do is you have to give those dotted lines on that highway. So they say, okay, I know where my parameters are. I know where I'm allowed, what is okay and what's not okay. But I have the freedom to like, have a little bit of creative independence here, but I'm still going in the right direction. I'm driving towards the end of goal. I am driving within my parameters. So I'm following the SOPs, but I have the independence and the autonomy to say, Hey, I think this looks a little better than what you think it looks like. And, and then me as a manager, I have to say, okay, cool, like do it, let's go and, and kind of take a step back. And then at, over time, as long as you're communicating well, your brand uh, your brand or your expectations or, you know, the language you're expecting or how something should be done, a system, um, then I think you are allowing your employees to take more ownership and you're going to see them grow as leaders. That's totally side off. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think it is at all. I think it's very, it's, it, so you're in essence creating guardrails, right? Yeah, exactly. One of the things I've had to, I've struggled with and had to learn is what's the difference in a preference and a requirement yeah that is so hard <laughs> because I have a lot of preferences and opinions I have an abundance of opinions and sometimes they're not requirements there are certain hills I'll die on that there are certain things I'm like nope this is the way it has to be but I've had to learn that it may not be the way that I would do it but it doesn't mean it's wrong mm -hmm. it just means that it's a different way <laughs> now how does the customer perceive it how does it affect the strategic position of the business how does it affect us tactically? And understanding the difference in strate strategic and tactical, mm -hmm. they're, they're totally different. Um, what, is the, what is the possible negative outcome? Because there are times that, you know, you used, you used your example of the, the book, right? The wide and long. Mm -hmm. There is times when there's certain things that get narrow, right? Mm -hmm. um, compliance. There may be some things. So you have to know who do you let drive on that portion of the road. Mm -hmm. So you have a brand new hire, there may be a part of that journey that is the narrow. Mm -hmm. You don't let them drive on that. You mm -hmm. have to have more senior team members handle that. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand when you're building your roster of your team, who's playing what position. Mm -hmm. And and knowing, okay, who looking for people to promote within. Um, promote fast. Give rages fast. Find your, your star players. Find out what makes them tick. And find out how they're aligned with the culture, mm -hmm. right? and invest in those people mm -hmm. because you're going to see people are looking for a way to express themselves. Same with children. If you just give children these very strict guidelines and say, little Johnny, this is how you have to do it. There's, you have no say in this, in this house. You have no say in what you do with your own mm -hmm. freedoms. What's going to happen? As soon as they get past your guardrails, they're mm -hmm. going to go off all over the off road, wherever they want to go mm -hmm. because they've been putting these tight parameters. They haven't express themselves at mm -hmm. all, express their own creativity Mm -hmm. So they're just going to go haywire. Mm -hmm. um, with employees if or team members, if you give them the ability to express themselves creatively, they're going to feel like they have ownership in the company. They're going to feel like it's the, they're, they're part of the crew of the ship. Mm -hmm. They're not just rowing with a, a oar in their hand. They're actually mm -hmm. part of the journey. Mm -hmm. um, and so that comes back to culture and coming back to know who you are as a company and, and who you're going to bring on. Because not everyone's going to be a fit. Mm -hmm. Not everyone wants to be a part of a journey. Some people just want to show up, mm -hmm. clock in, wait for the clock to turn to 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. and leave. 
Well, and, and, and I think too, it's not even just, uh, to benefit the employee and get them like what I'm okay. Let's use you and I, for an example, we have different preferences when it comes to how things should be done. But we both speak those because we've, we both have made it to where we have the space to speak them. And I think our, you know, our teammates all have the space to speak how they think things should be done. And what happens is it's a collaborative effect. And what happens is there oftentimes are better ideas other than just the business owner or the manager or whoever, you know, I think it has hiring people with better ideas than you. Right. And so, but if you're, if you are, you can only hear them if you're giving them the space to speak their ideas and, and speak how things can be improved and how, you know, they're the ones ultimately in the day-to-day operations. And if they're saying, Hey, something's inefficient, something's not working, or we can serve the client better. I hope you're as a business owner, I hope you're hearing them out, you know, because then that can affect your business, your reputation, your client experience, your employee experience. It, it affects the entire game. There's two sides of that coin. So the first one is, um, I'm going to go down the negative first. There's a lot of business owners who take a lot of pride in the fact that they get to make the decisions. You know, they're like, this is my ship. I am the captain. And they... Their, some of their security is based on their position and the fact they have people that work for them and they get, I, it's my, my way or the highway. And so there's not that collaborative process. Again, you should be hiring people smarter than you. You should not be the smartest person in the room. If you are, you made a mistake. you got to find people who have different perspectives and can outthink you, can outmaneuver. Mm-hmm. Because if, again, then you are the sum of the business. The other side of that coin, though, is there's sometimes that the owner may have a perspective and there may be a missing piece the rest of the team doesn't have that because there's been times I know you you've brought up great ideas or someone on the team's brought up great ideas and I'm like well but wait there's this mm-hmm. and it's like mm-hmm. oh we didn't uh, see yeah, that right. and it's only because that's in the small percentage of things that come up and it's like oh here's where here's a scar I have from that event and mm-hmm. that's why we don't do that mm-hmm. And on the inverse of that, too, is I may be going down this pathway and everyone's like, hey, whoa, whoa, breaks, breaks, breaks. I think you missed this. I'm like, okay, you know what? Great. I'm really glad I have a team around me who can mm-hmm. point out, you know, point out my blind spots. As an owner of a company, you need to have leadership that will push back mm-hmm. because a lot of times you, like, in business, you typically have a visionary personality and integrated personality. It's very, not often you have both. It's very rare to have both in the same person. Um, so the visionary will come up with a thousand ideas a day. It's the integrator's job to tell them which one of those are, which one of those are terrible. And there's often times, uh, and I'm, I'm going to say shout out to Keith. There was one recently. I'm trying to over here distract Keith. But Keith, I got this idea. And Keith's like, stops me and says, I can't remember how exactly, but I really basically, I really appreciate your idea, but right now, can we can we not distract from what we're doing and focus on this one? Yep. Thank you, Keith. That's why I'm here. <laughs> um, but you got to have people around you like that who are willing to say, hey, I, I don't think this aligns with where you want to go as mm-hmm. the owner. I don't think this aligns with the core mission or core focus of the company. I don't think this doesn't align with the, you know, the, the actual mission. Mm-hmm. It will help you be a part of the decision-making process. Mm-hmm. There's times I've I've said, hey, you guys make the decision, right? <laughs> I Here's my thoughts. Here's my parameters. I've got to move on the next thing. I know y'all will make the best choice. Mm-hmm. And you've made great choices. Mm-hmm. I feel like we could talk about this for hours. Yeah. <laughs> so moving on, the last thing that is on this list, 
I think we just have to go over this briefly, and then I want to get to some of these questions because these questions from our from our audience are really good. But accounting and bookkeeping, it's very simple. Just do it. <laughs> just hire a bookkeeper or a CPA. Don't do it yourself. Have good, clean books. High quality of high quality of earnings, because buyers are going to want to analyze those books. Mm-hmm. Also, you want to be able to have good peripheral vision. And good focused vision on where your company is financially, how it's performing, so you can find areas of inefficiency and areas mm-hmm. you need to correct. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about how much money comes in, it's how much you keep. Mm-hmm. That's what we measure. We don't measure how much comes in the do- front door, mm-hmm. we measure how much is not going out the back door. Mm-hmm. So how much profit is left at the end of the year. It doesn't matter if you're making $45 million on the top end, if you're only keeping 150000 of it, it's a very inefficient company. Right. So you have to track it, you have to have good reporting, you have to have high quality of earnings. What, what are high quality of earnings? Quality of earnings is measured by the quality of the financials. If um, you're running a whole bunch of personal expenses through your business and we have to recast all of those um, in a way that there's a lot of addbacks, it's going to hinder the valuation. Businesses that have less addbacks, there's less explanations we have to do to the financials, less explaining we have to do to buyers. The easier it is to underwrite and the better those transactions go, the higher the valuation. Because the buyer's mm-hmm. like, oh, all we're adding back is salary, interest depreciation, and some personal health care. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Great. But if we're like, well, you know, Mr. Seller and Miss Seller, they remodeled their house and those are buried into here. They also paid their mortgage to the business account. And so we've had to take the interest from that out. Oh, yeah, they're also, there are three kids that are in college. They're paying for their car payments and their insurance to the business. Oh, and also they have this cousin that lives on the property. The more of that you have, which we see it all the time, the more explaining we have to do, that's like a that's a death by a thousand cuts. The buyers mm-hmm. are like, okay. Complication. Another complication. Another complication. More things I have to track down to prove that the sellers are telling the truth. Those businesses are harder to sell, right? Mm-hmm. And it affects the value. So the cleaner you can make that have a meeting with your accountant, your bookkeeper, your financial advisor, come up with some, there's great tax strategy you can come mm-hmm. up with so that you can still benefit from a, a lot of tax incentives. Again, this is not tax advice, it's just entertainment. Um, but there's a lot of tax incentives you can still benefit from without having to do a lot of creative accounting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, that's, I think we're going to have, I'm trying to line up um, an accountant on here soon to kind of just dive into that for an, a whole hour. Cause I think there's so much value there that just is not, not coming from a judgmental space, but just, we, we are constantly analyzing financials. And so it's just things to consider, you know, and, and things that maybe people wouldn't consider when they're running a business or they get to the point, like we've said before, where they're like, okay, it's time to sell, sell. And it's too late. Their, their business is does not show profit or there's all cash is not reported or it's so commingled. It's like a hot mess. And it's just wise things to think about ahead of time. And also I want to add this too. So, so owners don't get discouraged. If that is the case and you're in a, a like say a uh, main street business, mm-hmm. restaurants, gas stations, small retail, that's common mm-hmm. to see. Yeah. And, Buyers are not as concerned. We're talking, this is predominantly for the companies that are, say, um, over a million in revenue, you know, let's say a handful of employees. These companies are going to sell, you know, for, say, over a million dollars. Then it's very crucial. Mm -hmm. The restaurants, gas stations, liquor stores, uh, small local retail, not as crucial, 
helpful. Not, it's helpful, but not as critical. Right. But when we're talking for the larger companies, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Cool. Well, like you said, all of this, we have a whole email uh, series written up for you. So if you guys as the audience feel like there's more here and you, you want to dive into this and read this on your own, please, uh, we'll drop the link in the description. Um, and we'd be, we'd love to share this with you. And hopefully my, my goal is as I've been working on the schedule for the podcast over the next few months is each of these topics that we've gone over today, I think each of them have value. Like I think they're their own topic. So, so let's jump into this Q and A. All right, Um, let's go. All right. Jason Jordan asked, What's the best way to stay organized with dates and client information? We've been booking people for our business and some of our events are a year or two out. Currently, we are using Google Calendar and notebooks for info and scheduling, but we can't help feel there's a better option or software out there to use for this. That is a great question. And I, I this is a place where there's a lot of transition. And for businesses, they get to a place where they've done it a manual way for so long and now they're like okay we're too busy we this Mm -hmm. doesn't work so what do you do well you have to have what's called a crm um that is basically a customer management system that you use to hold data but a lot of them have also automations they have booking tools they have appointment setting tools they have automated messaging they have workflows they have mass email mass text they have email builders for like building pretty emails. They have website builders, website managers. They have all these tools so you can manage your digital side of your business. Mm-hmm. And so what are those? The number one, um, and I say this because we went through several options before we settled on one. I tried a lot of things. We have tried Constant Contact. We've tried Pipedrive. We've tried HubSpot. I finally landed on Go High Level. And I recommend Go High Level above everything else for a few reasons. One, um, I, I'm a big part of the, not I'm a big part, but I'm a part of the the big high level community. There's about 50,000 people in a Facebook group. The CEO is very active. They're releasing new features every single week. They're also engaging with the community within high level to get feedback and make changes fast. I've seen them roll out a feature in a day. (laughs) We had, there was one thing that came up where someone mentioned, why doesn't it do this? And they said, that's a great idea. And they wrote the code and they deployed it in 24 hours. Right. So all that to say, you have a company that is very invested in business owners to see them succeed. It's designed for small to medium-sized business owners. You know, unlike, say, Salesforce, which Salesforce, you have to have your own IT department to run. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pipedrive, a lot of times you have very little control over the actual operation. Basically, you get the platform and then the provider gives you some access to the back end. But you don't have 100% access to the back end. With high level, they've designed it to be even white labelable, so you can resell it to clients, build a product and provide it. You could build templates. You could do so much in there. We're going to do a whole video on that. I mean, actually, I can maybe refer people if they have questions about high level to people who are experts in this. Mm. We're actually affiliates, so we are able to help set you up with a promo code for high level. Um, but it has in that an appointment setting tool, a booking mm-hmm. tool. It has a customer management tool, places to send automated messages to build uh, if-else functions. So if this happens, then that happens. So we manage our whole business off of this. Mm-hmm. Like right now, we have almost 1,200 leads mm-hmm. inside of our CRM, and the only way to manage that mm-hmm. is with a CRM. When you first started, we had 
a, we had a, a Google Doc, or no, I mean a Google Sheets uh, yeah. spreadsheet we were doing this with. You were going in there and updating that every day. Every day, did it manually. So we had sheets for every listing, and then we had sheets for other reasons, and I updated every one. I mean, by the time we developed, you really kind of built out the system. We, I think it probably eliminated 85% of my job. Um, but Jordan, to your point of specifically scheduling and kind of um, note keeping and client information. One example of something that we've done is if we're going through a phone call, let's say, and a seller says, hey, I'm not quite ready yet. Call me back in eight months. We can put, we have ways to build features or we can book a calendar uh, event in, in eight months that only notifies us that it has a whole set of automations built out or we get a notification and it says, hey, Farah, today call, you know, call Jordan on and ask him about his business. And then, but he never gets that notification. But leading up to that, he will get reminders or essentially like some sort of content or drip or emails or just kind of checking up and seeing where he's at. And so all of this is automated. All I have to do is book a button. In the past, what would have happened if I had to follow up with someone is I go into the right spreadsheet, I find his name. I mark it the right color. I add the notes. I have to put a note in there when I wanted to call them, when I last spoke to them, because you can't tell when you last talked, you know, edited that, and then go into Google Calendar, make a reminder. Of my go- it's so time-consuming. And so with this, like, we've been able to build it out where for people that you have, you say you have them one to two years out, you know, you can have a whole sequence of things that happens to for them and with them and interacting with them without you even touch it. You just set it a reminder for that date and it sets up a whole system. It's crazy. Yeah. And I, I thought when we had our Google sheet that we were doing something, I'm like, Oh, this is high tech. Right. <laughs> um, and then I got Calendly and Calendly was a booking tool. Basically you send someone a calendar link and they can book a meeting. That was fantastic because you'd go back and forth. Well, what time works for you now? What time? I hate that. I hate <laughs> going back and forth to book an appointment, like, here's a link, pick the time works for you. Right. Because my calendar sets up what works. So if it's not available, then you can't pick that time. Right. So if you're a business owner, you need a booking tool. Yep. You need it. If you're trying to book appointments, you know, with pay. You're you're, wasting time. You're wasting money. You're wasting money. These tools are so cheap, so cheap. Like, you can get high level for 97 bucks a month. We have the, we have an agency plan, so we get multiple accounts and do a bunch of other things. But um, for $97 a month, you're getting $1,600 worth of software because there's all these other tools it replaces. It replaces Constant Contact. It replaces HubSpot. It replaces Calendly. It replaces Zapier for most for, for automations. It's replacing uh, text messaging tools. Like, we have automated text messaging now. Mm-hmm. We have so many tools. All that to say, if, if you want a way to schedule and streamline your business and automate your business, you have to have some type of tool like high level yeah okay we can we'll do an episode on that for you yeah we'll let you know when that's coming uh okay Corey asked what is the easiest or cleanest type of business to sell mostly meaning like llc or sole proprietorship or corporation is one better or worse than the other when trying to sell a business that's a great question so i am not an attorney and i'm not an accountant so this is not tax advice, and this is not legal advice. Um, what we tend to see is sole proprietors pay more taxes. So if you're running your business as a sole proprietor, 
you are going to be paying more in taxes than someone who's a corporation, and preferably an S-corporation or an LLC that's taxes and S-corp. Um, you would have to, I would say, consult an attorney on what would be best, but um, I would say not sole proprietor. Mm-hmm. I don't see many advantages to doing that unless you're trying to be a single member, single member LLC, which then I think defaults to your 1040 uh, individual return anyway. But um, you need a corporation to create a veil, right? And there's a veil of separation between you as the person and the entity. Mm-hmm. Selling either one of those is the same. You're selling either you're going to sell the you're, we're do, mostly doing asset sales, so we're selling assets that are going to transfer to a new corporation anyway. You need to do your little. Okay. illustration yeah. between stock and assets. Okay, so when you're selling a business, people often ask, what are you selling? So there's two main ways you can sell a company. The first way, which is most common, is an asset sale. So you're selling the actual assets the company owns, and the second is a stock sale where you're selling the interest in the corporation. We're not going to use stock specifically because with an LLC, it doesn't have stock. It has member interest, mm-hmm. and the corporations have stock. So... This illustration is so we're selling a company, right? And I'm driving a U-Haul, and the U-Haul represents my entity, whether it's an LLC or a corporation. And in the back of that U-Haul is all the things that my business needs to operate. So that could be all my software, my equipment, assets, trucks, tools, intellectual property, copyright, copyrights, um, any asset that the company needs to operate. When we're doing an asset sale. I'm driving down the road. I'm going to stop. And then the buyer is going to pull up in their U-Haul. And we're going to exchange funds and documents. And then we're going to offload all of the assets out of my U-Haul into their U-Haul. Shake hands and they drive off. And now they own the business in their corporation name, which is their own U-Haul. That's an asset sale. And a stock sale, I'm driving along in my U-Haul. I have everything that I need to run my company in the back. The buyer jumps in the passenger seat while I'm driving. We exchange funds, sign papers, and then I wave goodbye, shake hands, jump out of the U-Haul, and he keeps driving. <laughs> That's a stock sale or an entity sale. So with a corporation, you're selling the stock of the corporation, so they now own that. With that, there's all the liabilities that the, comp- the company may have. So if I ran a bunch of red lights and did a hit and run, ran a red light camera before I got there, and he doesn't have the due diligence, he didn't do the due diligence to, to know that, then all of that, if I robbed a bank, right, all of that now is following that U-Haul. So there's a lot more liability. Mm-hmm. If I did an asset sale because it transferred to his U-Haul, they're still cops are still following me, right? The IRS <laughs> is still following me. All the liability is still following me versus the person who bought the corporation. So that's why it's important to understand the difference. And and that's a whole other conversation. We'll probably have Justin back on to talk about when to do each mm-hmm. Um, but most commonly we see asset sales, unless you have to transfer some contracts or something complicated that's owned by the company. Let's say you, you have like a property management company and you have all these property management contracts and you don't want to re-sign every single one of them. Sometimes they'll do a stock sale because then all that conveys. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like we can't actually re- make a recommendation. No, but talk to your attorney. Yeah. <laughs> you an attorney, ask us, we'll recommend one because we know a bunch of great ones. But um, anything but sole proprietor. Okay. Sounds good. Hope that answers your questions, Corey. Okay. Hannah, there's two questions here. I'm going to ask them at two different times. First, how do you create and keep a positive company culture, company culture in today's complex work environment? And how do you attract, train and retain high value talent? We kind of covered that. 
Well, okay, from your perspective, how do we do that? Uh, I feel like we covered this a lot. Um, I think, A, how do you attract, uh, A, attract, well, you have to be the environment. So building that environment means giving your team members autonomy, like I already said, um, making sure they're well-equipped and well-trained, making sure you have good um, communication in place, making sure that um, there is consistency, that you say what you, you do, what you're going to say. Do what you say you're going to do, um, you know, that we're not just all talk, we, you know, we're not hypocritical, um, that everybody is held to the same standard, you know, there's training and mentorship and that it's a, a good work environment, a, you know, a fun work environment, but ultimately that everybody is held to the same standard, which, um, and, and pushing each other and encouraging each other to meet excellence, I would say, and then attracting that, I, I think that naturally attracts people. Um, and then training them, it goes back to having SOPs in place. I think it's helpful to ask your employees what they think should be trained. Like, Hey, what did you feel like you missed out on? Or what do you think needed more clarification? Um, and kind of build that into the training plan and then retaining high value talent. I mean, that goes to making sure they know they're valued. Um, you know, whether that's through appreciation, through recognizing their work, um, thanking them for their work. Uh, I would say um, giving them a creative independence to make decisions um, and uh, have autonomy in their work, um, paying them well and giving them, you know, giving them incentives to for the work, whether that's performance based or whatever that looks like. Um, I think that's kind of that's a brief overview. That's a whole nother topic, though, that would be that could we I could go on for hours about that. Yeah. I'll say a few things, bullet points. The simplest is you have to build a company people want to work at. That's it. You, ha- you have to build a company where people want to be. So you have to think of it from their point of view. Well, what, are, what, are, um, what are team members looking for, right? When they, when they want to make a change in a career or they want to you know, stake their career with you, why are they doing so? Well, the first thing is they, I believe they want a mission. People want to live for something, right? They don't want to just clock in and get a paycheck and go home and watch Netflix. Like they want to live for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And so identifying what mission you're on and then communicating with them to see if they're, in, they're on the same mission as you. Because if you're bringing people in that align with that mission, then it's not about money. It's about purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's first. I'd say you have to have a, a purpose as a company, and you, you have to communicate that. Mm-hmm. As a, the leader, I believe you have to be the one that's communicating passion, and you're communicating the why, and, and, and you are also listening to what your team has to say mm-hmm. about that. Are we on track? Are we aligning with our values? Because people ultimately, you could pay them as much as you can pay them, but they'll still leave mm-hmm. if they don't feel like they're being seen. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like they're a part of something greater than themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think um, that's probably the most important. And, and there's so many good resources on this. I mean, Gary Vee puts out good content on this. Uh, Jocko Willing puts out good content on this. Patrick Bet David puts out good content on this. But it's just building culture. Right. Um, and also as the owner, you have to realize the things you do that may affect the culture negatively. Mm-hmm. There's certain things that have to, the, the buck has to stop with you. There's certain burdens that your team can't bear that you have to bear. There's certain hardships or certain, um, 
tough things you have to wrestle with that they don't need to be a part of so you can protect them from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you have to be vulnerable and be um, open with your team, mm-hmm. but you also have to make sure that you're not weighting them with things that are not theirs to carry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a great point. Um, Hannah had a second question. She said, uh, how do you balance putting enough information about your business out there to reach your customers while also limiting your exposure from a risk standpoint? So I take that as, you know, sharing, adding value to your customers, uh, to attract them, but without, um, you know, sharing trade secrets or proprietary information. That's the way I take that. So Hannah works in cybersecurity Mm. for a big national company. And I don't ask her questions on purpose sometimes because it's terrifying what's (laughs) out there. If I tell you, I have to kill you. It's not even that. It's just like, (laughs) I don't want to know what's, what Russia's doing right now. No, no, thank you. Um, But how do you put yourself out there as a, as a business and stay safe? I would say the the simplest thing you can do, the easiest thing you can do, is get a, and this was actually, I, another I, another cybersecurity person recommended this recently, is get a password management system and every password for every account is randomized. Mm-hmm. Because all it takes is one breach. Let's say if you have, like, I'll give you a story that I, this happened recently to someone that we met. I don't know if this is exactly how it happened to that person, but this was the outcome. So let's say you have a general password you share for most of your accounts in the office, and people have a, which, like we used to do, have a spreadsheet of passwords, and they're almost all the same. <coughs> and you have team members who are involved in so many different aspects of your business. Well, let's say if somebody downloads something that has malicious malware in it, and the browser data scraped, the cookies or whatever scraped, and now you have, there's login information and has passwords for accounts. Well, let's say you have a big digital presence. All someone has to do then is get those passwords for your GoDaddy account, steal the hosting of your website, um, go in and steal ownership of your social media accounts. Um, we know a, we met someone recently that they had that happen. They, someone came in and they stole their entire website and held it hostage and even put up on the contact page, this website's now for sale. I think they wanted $50,000. So you have someone who was interested in selling their business, but now they have a website that's been hacked and held for ransom and you have no control over how to get clients anymore because Mm. you've lost your Google business profile too. Mm. So I would say if you're going to do one thing, keep it simple, get a password management system like 1Password, that's what we're currently using, and randomize all your passwords, have tiers of security so that, because we're talking mainly about small, medium-sized businesses, not large corporations. Um, Randomize your passwords, give limited security to only people that need them. You can tier the security inside of 1Password so that people can't, certain people don't have it, certain people do. And then change them every few months, change them every month, change mm-hmm. them as often as you think you need because you are un- everyone right now is under some type of cyber attack, whether mm-hmm. it's from China, from Russia, from um, other Americans because data is so valuable. Mm-hmm. So I guarantee at least one of your passwords is out there online right now. So yep. I'd, 
and also be mindful of uh, check emails. Like I recently got an email from what looked like you remember this. What looked like Meta, yeah, Facebook, uh, yeah, Facebook support. We're running some Facebook ads, and I got this email at like eight o'clock at night about well, we're gonna sit, we're gonna suspend your ad account. I clicked the link. As soon as I did, I realized I shouldn't have clicked the link. Went in panic mode and had to basically, I was in the middle of, uh, actually, no, I was like about, I was trying to help my wife put the kids to bed. I had to stop because I knew time, like I had now messed up and time was of the essence and go erase and change every piece of data for passwords we had because I, it was breached for my, for my uh, Facebook. So, and they had made an attempt to try to access my Facebook. So luckily my Facebook passwords were different than other passwords, but everything's randomized now. Yeah. Yeah. You have to in these. These days. You had one more question I think you said yeah. you wrote down. So Larry asked, I only summarized the question, but the question was, what do uh, what do we recommend to start a business with a partner or to start a business solo? Hmm. Um, again, this is not legal advice. This is just for entertainment purposes, but I'll tell you about what, from what I've seen. If you are starting a business for the first time, as a business owner and the other person that's suggesting a partnership is starting a business for the first time, I would say, no, don't do it. Here's why I have not seen a partnership work well with two new business owners. Mm. What I have seen work well is business owners that have been successful individually starting companies together as a partnership and leveraging their own experiences. That I've seen work very well. I have seen too many horror stories involving business owners that start businesses together with no experience and they grow together and what that journey looks like. So I always am against partnerships because they're typically family or friends. Um, Partners who are not friends beforehand tend to work. Because you're, you have a vested interest in achieving a goal and you have some collective knowledge. But if you're new and you don't have knowledge, what do you bring in the table? You bring in the table money, work. One person's always going to do more work than the other. One person's always going to bring more money to the table than the other. It's never going to be balanced. And I've yet to see it work well where both parties were getting along the entirety of the relationship. Mm-hmm. So my recommendation is always start your first business solo. Do n- never get in business with family. Never get in business with friends. It never goes well. Don't do it. Um, now, if you are successful in business already and you want to start a business with someone else who's been successful, I see those re- I see those relationships work great all the time. So I, I wouldn't hesitate to recommend that. Mm-hmm. But the inverse, I very rarely is a re- just because you don't have experience. Mm-hmm. And two people without experience are just two payrolls you have to pay for. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're inexperienced, you have someone who's experienced that wants to partner with you, um, that's great. I would get an attorney involved and make sure that's not a one-sided deal. Mm-hmm. But I do see those tend to work too because you may have something to offer that helps benefit the situation. The other person has the experience. So mm-hmm. that's yeah, kind of my perspective. That's awesome. I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> Well, I think that's where we're going to wrap it up. So to conclude this, um, hopefully we got a chance to see some of our fellow industry partners and referral partners of the IBBA. Mm -hmm. You'll be watching this the week after the IBBA. 
Hopefully we'll, um, I know we will have some awards to come back and celebrate. We, uh, we got an award from FBX. I know we're receiving an award from the BBF and I think one from the IBBA. Mm-hmm. So we're excited for that. Excited to celebrate that with the team because that's a team achievement. Um, in closing, I want to say thank you for watching, listening, subscribing. Um, we really appreciate you being a part of this journey with us. We want your feedback. We want to hear what your questions are. We want your comments. That helps us with the YouTube, Facebook, and all other platforms' algorithms. So if you can like this post, this podcast, we really appreciate that. It helps us get this word out to more business owners. Fair, you got anything else to add? No, just um, excited to flesh this out more with uh, more episodes and add more value. Awesome. Well, thank you, everyone. Awesome. Thank you.